out of the scriptures um, the meaning of the Bible rather than putting in our own meaning into the Bible, right? And so today we will see that the Bible is a unified story of redemption, showing God's plan throughout the history to redeem the world. And so one of the, you know, every week we give a declaration. This week's declaration is that we will understand the Bible from the story of redemption. And, you know, as preachers, we like to speak to crowds, right? We enjoy speaking to crowds. I think God has a sense of humor in that I'm an introvert and I speak to a crowd every week. But, you know, it's thrilling for us to do it. And God works in mysterious ways, however, beyond what we can understand or may even be comfortable with. So in Acts 8, we see Philip. He is preaching to crowds of hundreds or even thousands of people in Samaria. And next, God sends him to the wilderness, a wilderness place that had almost no one in it, right? It had one person there in the wilderness for him to speak to. And God enjoys moving in places that we would consider insignificant, right? Places that we would say, oh, well, there's no need to go there and preach the gospel. God says, no, go. And so unfortunately, we will sometimes put God in a box and limit him to our own thinking. And so we have to allow God to lead in ways we don't understand. We need to be flexible because if we don't, we will not be led very far. And so as we will see, the direction Philip got was to go from the multitudes to one person there in the desert. And we'll see through this passage, at least, that the Bible is a unified story of redemption, showing God's plan throughout history to redeem the world. But what do we mean by a redemptive narrative? So a redemptive narrative is an, it's an aspect of biblical theology, right? It's, it's the, the Bible is not uh, static, a static book where where it's lack, it lacks movement or it lacks change, but it's a living and active book in which the central figure is God and in which the central concern is to bear testimony to the story of what he has done to save mankind and to bring his kingdom into being on this earth. You may be familiar with the Bible Project. Anybody familiar with the Bible Project? Yet to have uh, some great videos on YouTube that kind of teach us the Word of God and explains things in a in a very practical way. Well, the Bible Project also affirms the redemptive narrative arch of Scripture. It says on its website in its mission statement, it says, "From page one to the final word, we believe the Bible is a unified story." that leads to Jesus. This diverse collection of ancient books overflows with wisdom for our modern world. As we let the biblical story speak for itself, we believe the message of Jesus will transform individuals and entire communities. Many people have misunderstood the Bible as a collection of inspirational quotes or a divine instruction manual dropped from heaven. Most of us gravitate towards sections we enjoy while avoiding parts that are confusing or even disturbing. 
you know, the redemptive narrative that we're going to look at each of these today is clarified. It's centered on Jesus and should be lived daily. And so let us start by turning our Bibles to Acts 8, starting in verse 26, where we start by talking about the fact that the redemptive narrative is clarified. In Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candace, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, was sitting on his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. You know, this all takes place around the mid-first century, around A.D. 35 and 40 or so. And at this time, the early church is spreading its message. And Jews from various regions visit Jerusalem, especially during religious festivals. And one such visitor is an Ethiopian eunuch, a high-ranking official under Queen Candace of Ethiopia, right? And Ethiopia in this context is basically talking about regions, right, of uh, regions south of Egypt, including part of, parts of modern-day Sudan. And so eunuchs often held significant positions in the royal courts. The Old Testament has a different view of eunuchs, okay? But for now, we're going to look at the fact that these eunuchs at this time hold positions in royal courts. And many New Testament voices describe this larger story of redemption. So as you read the New Testament from Jesus on the Emmaus Road to Stephen and his discourse about God's plan of redemption, we, we, can, we get this redemptive narrative. But here, an angel of the Lord instructs Philip, a deacon and evangelist, to go south to the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. And as he obeys, right, he obeys and does this. As he obeys, Philip encounters this Ethiopian eunuch who is reading the book of Isaiah while traveling in his chariot. Now, these chariots, right, are not probably what we picture that they are like, you know, like you sit in them. And it, No, these are standing chariots where they're standing in these chariots, right? And they're going a, a fair distance. And the eunuch is puzzled by the scripture. 
guided by the spirits, Philip approaches the chariot. So he obeyed and went, and then he, he obeyed and approaches the chariot. And here's the eunuch reading aloud. And Philip asks him if he understands what he is reading. And the eunuch admits his confusion and expresses the need for someone to guide him in understanding the scripture. Now, I want you to picture who he is and the fact that he is confused and he needs to be guided. And I want to challenge us that as we read scripture to have that same kind of humility. And so in verse 31, we read it. It says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? So what did he do? He invites Philip to come up and sit with him. And it's amazing how we see the faith here spreading beyond Jerusalem and, and, and followers include not only Jews at this time, but Gentiles. Right? Because Gentiles were, no, were not yet being preached to. But right now, we see this Gentile, that, G, that God sends Philip to this Gentile. I'm sure Philip probably wondered why. So Gentiles, such as this Ethiopian eunuch, and what it does is it's reflecting the inclusive message of God. And the eunuch shows great humility because we don't know what Philip looked like, right? We have no idea what Philip looked like approaching this eunuch. But I can assume he looked nothing like a high-ranking official, right? And he invites Philip to sit with him. And it's clear that the eunuch was only getting a part of the story. He wasn't getting the, 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 the big picture of what he was reading in Isaiah. You know, have you ever walked into a movie halfway? And you got in, you got in the theater or, or you started watching it and you, and you sat there just totally confused, like, what is happening in this movie? Have you ever walked into a conversation halfway, right? And something was said, and you look at the people like, oh boy, what did you just say? I walked in this morning, I came a little bit early, and uh, Micah and Brian were in here, and they were fixing the, the mics or something like that, and and, and I walked right into the conversation where, where Brian said that something about moving the diaphragm somewhere else. And I'm like, I know you are a medical person here, but that is just the wrong way to use that. Right? That's just the wrong phrasing. And so it's interesting when you just walk into a conversation. And you have no idea what is going on. It's likely that he heard that this eunuch heard of something about Jesus when he was in Jerusalem. And it's, it's, it's likely that he heard about him dying, buried, raised again. It's, this his story of redemption. He probably heard something of that while he was worshiping in Jerusalem. Yet here in his humility, the eunuch invited Philip to give him all the story of redemption. 
And so with that, I want, us, I want to, to encourage us to dive deeper into the Bible. When a passage feels confusing, step back and see how it fits into the overarching story of redemption. Use resources like Nathan talked about last week, right? Use mentors or groups for clarity. This redemptive narrative brings together the unity of the Testaments, yet such unity is best organized in the form of a biblical narrative. Like a play with many acts, the unity of the Bible is a drama that unfolds over time. It forms a living and organic unity. And so what God reveals in the Old Testament is consistent with what he will disclose in the New Testament. But clearly the New Testament is more clear, it's explicit, and full. You know, this organic unity is necessary for seeing the unity of the Bible and appreciating the way the New Testament differs from the Old And the difference is often spoken in terms of a mystery and its fulfillment, as we see in Romans 6, 25, or 1 Corinthians 2, 7, you could write those down. And as the apostles teach us that the Testaments relate to each other through the person and work of Jesus Christ himself. And so now we want to look at the fact that the redemptive narrative is centered on Jesus Christ. So as we move on, in Acts 8.32, it says, this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shares is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from him I'm going to talk a little bit more about this passage in the communion but it says in verse 34 and the and the eunuch said to Philip about whom I ask you does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else then Philip Open his mouth. I wonder why it says that. Because we know that you've got to open your mouth to speak, right? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. You know, the Ethiopian eunuch is reading from the book of Isaiah, right? Specifically, Isaiah 53. And which describes a lamb being led to slaughter and a man's life being taken away. And he asked Philip about whom the prophet is referring to. Is Isaiah speaking of himself or is he speaking of someone else? And so seizing this opportunity, Philip starts with this very scripture and explains the good news about Jesus to the eunuch. And Philip explains that the passage is a prophetic reference 
to Jesus Christ, pointing to his sacrificial death and redemptive role for humanity. It's prophecy. And so the eunuch may have presumed, perhaps from from his clothing or even his accent, that he was a Jew and therefore probably was able to help. And so that's probably one of the reasons why he so readily invited him to talk to him. But the general principle which he enunciate is significant. The Old Testament cannot be fully understood without interpretation. It needs a key, right? A key to unlock it. A key to unlock the doors of its its mysterious sayings. And Jesus provided such a key to the disciples. You know, in Luke 24, starting in verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So now Philip, he was being called upon to help the eunuch in some kind of way, right? And the the phrase, as I mentioned before, to open one's mouth, as seen in the ESV, is used when... A significant phrase is about to follow. And here then is the climax of the conversation as Philip takes his point of departure from the passage and declares the good news to Jesus. Is this not what we need to be doing? Is this not what we as God's sons and daughters need to be doing as we as we Pull from the scriptures and explain Jesus to people. Clearly, his first step was to show that Jesus was the person who fulfilled this prophecy. A description of Jesus' character and the way in which he suffered unjustly and was condemned to death was would clearly prove the point, right? Consider a a multiple chapter book, right? Each chapter adds depth to the main character's journey. But it's the climax that everything's, it's the climax where everything comes together. And Jesus is that climax in the biblical narrative. Think of some of your favorite film series, right? Uh, you know, whether it be Marvel or or some, a favorite film series that you enjoy, right? Throughout throughout the books and the movies, for instance, of the Harry Potter universe. I got an amen from the teen section over there, right? The, from the Harry, probably some of the adults are like, yeah. Where's Brian? There you go. Right? So the story progresses and characters change. And by the end 
of the series, things that you didn't understand or may not have understand or thought didn't even matter turn out to be very important to the story's conclusion. Right? And so beyond, let's go even beyond the Hogwarts saga, right? One could name a bunch of stories with a larger narrative that we don't always see or understand. But Jesus makes the narrative clear. You know, there's a movie called The Glass Onion, right? Um, A Knives Out mystery, right? Um, Many of us have probably seen that. It's it's pretty, pretty well done. And it begins with a complex puzzle box, right? Sent by a man to his closest friends who, who must solve it to get to the message at the center of this box. And each stage of the puzzle functions like a key leading to the last and final review. If you haven't seen it, I suggest that, you know, you try to see it. I'm not going to spoil it for you any further. But in our Bible study, guys, look for Jesus. Sometimes I fear that we read the Bible, but we don't look for Jesus. We may read about about Paul, or we may read about Peter, or read their letters, but we're not looking for Jesus. We may read Psalms, we may read Daniel, we may read different books in the Old Testament, but are we looking for Jesus? And see how prophecies, stories, and teachings all point to Jesus, enriching our understanding of his role and in the grand narrative. And so, in addition, the redemptive, the redemptive narrative is to be lived daily. We look in Acts 8, verse 36, it says, As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? What a phrase. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. He says, look, there is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Stop the chariots. He didn't even get an answer from Philip yet. He's just like, stop right here. We're not going any further because I don't see why I shouldn't be baptized. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. It's not a one-person role, right? Philip baptized him. And so this suggests that the eunuch's understanding and acceptance of the message that Philip shared from the book of Isaiah, right, convinced him to become a disciple. We look at that picture and he says, look here, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip's like, what? Just like that? (laughs) Really? 
And so they stopped the chariot and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water where Philip baptized him. This act of baptism marked the eunuch's formal entry into the Christian faith, signifying his belief in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ from the book of Isaiah, y'all. All right? They didn't, he didn't say, okay, that is awesome that we just read, but let's read some more. He was convinced from the book of Isaiah that Jesus died for him. It's like using a map on a journey, right? You know, once we know the destination and the path, every decision from then on on the road becomes purposeful. It becomes directed. It's like he's reading this and he's understanding this. He's getting the understanding about Jesus from Philip and he's like, okay, I have a path now. And he purposely, it was purposeful for him to say, there's water, stop the chariot. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Do we read the scriptures like that? Where as we read and we look into it and we see Jesus, that we're purposeful about what we do next. Or are we reading it again like a story? Is it the redemptive narrative for you? Let the redemptive narrative guide your daily choices. Let it guide your actions. Let it guide your interactions. Celebrate milestones in faith. <coughs> like baptism. We should be going bananas when somebody gets baptized. When somebody understands this redemptive narrative that is in all of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And actively seek ways to live out that narrative, to live out that redemptive story. And so again, the declaration for today is that we will understand the Bible from the story of redemption. As that's what it's all about. And so I want to conclude this morning with communion. And I want, as we conclude, I want to focus on thinking a little bit more about this eunuch. Why was he so captivated by the redemptive narrative of Jesus so much that he would decide right then as they traveled to get baptized? I think the answer is in who the eunuch was. What is it, what is it about him that makes the news of Jesus such good news that he would want to join him? So here, here are a few things I think to consider. Not every eunuch we read about was castrated. But there is a high probability that this one was. Some evidence of this can be found as we read 
Isaiah 56, for instance. And so he may have been taken as a young boy to become a eunuch without any choice in the matter. To become a eunuch, pardon me for just a script, this, this description, but his testicles were crushed to prevent him from producing testosterone. This would also allow them to trust him around female loyalty, royalty. And so because of this, his growth was altered. His appearance changed. Voice probably never matured or broke. And so, so as an adult, he still sounded like a boy. His body probably had little hair and grew in disproportionate ways, reduced muscles and increased body fat and probably developed breasts as a man. He had weaker bones, lethargic, depressed. So people would recognize him as a eunuch just by looking at him. He looked strange. He sounded strange. He felt strange. And here he is reading in Isaiah about one who like sheep was led to slaughter. One in one who in his humiliation was denied justice. One whose life was taken away. The surrounding parts of the passage of of Isaiah 53 go on to further describe this one as having an appearance so marred to be beyond human semblance, wounded, crushed, despised, rejected, a man of suffering. With his backstory, with this eunuch's backstory, can can't you imagine him thinking that this person he's reading about is just like God? Who is the prophet writing about? He asks. Because he's like me. Who is the suffering one? Because he's suffering like me. He's already taken on my suffering. He has already taken my place. And Philip tells him that this suffering one is Jesus Christ. All people's suffering was focused on him and the injustice of his trial, his disfigurement, crushing crucifixion. And this suffering carries redemption for the whole world. No wonder this was a transformative moment for the eunuch. No wonder he said, stop the chariots. There is one. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Look at what this man has done for me. 
He did, he's gone through the same thing I'm going through. I was crushed, and he was crushed. No wonder he wants to be baptized at the first sight of water in a desert. And so in this moment, he felt, he felt seen by God. He felt his story was entwined with Jesus' story. For his own sake and for the redemption and life of the whole world. And so he was all in. And he says, baptize me. What is your backstory? What is your backstory and do you see Jesus in it? We read this story all the time and we go right through it and say, yeah, this is one of the baptisms, this is one of the conversions in the scripture, but do we know this eunuch? Do we know his backstory? Do you consider your backstory and where Jesus is in it? And so the, the redemptive narrative of Jesus, be it from the Old Testament or the New Testament, is a lasting, should have a lasting effect. We should be filled with joy at the mere reading of it. It should change us. And so as we share communion, together today. Let us understand that we are both leaders and characters in God's redemptive story. And so as we understand and embrace and live out this narrative, we find purpose, we find clarity, and a deeper relationship with Jesus at its center. Let's go to God and pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in prayer, God, just so grateful for how you love us. Father, we're grateful for how you teach us. We're grateful for what we see in your word. God, we're grateful for our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. We're grateful for the redemptive story that we can, we can read in comfort every day knowing that if it weren't for you, and if it weren't for your son, we would be void of that comfort. Thank you, Father, for showing us the life, the backstory of this week. I pray that we will look at it and take to heart his humility and his urgency to be joined with you. God, I pray that we will look at our backstory and connect it with Jesus, with his death, his burial, and resurrection. Father, I pray these things as we take communion, the bread, and the juice, Father, through your son's holy name.